0: worship service with communion, and then lastly, we will end with sending us all out to fulfill the great commission, go and make disciples. Everybody say, make disciples. That's our mission. That's what we're called to do as a church, and so that's what we long for. So John 20, I I, I want to describe our liturgy this morning because we have a new sign outside. Some people looked at it and said, what is that? This hour is intentional. It's an intentional hour for you. It's an intentional hour for me, for us, together as a family. John 20 gives us our big idea, our theme for this series. and For the book of John, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. And then verse 31 it says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name that this book is written intentionally to point as a sign to Jesus so that we could experience him and know him and have life in his name. That's what the signs in this book point to the probably more appropriate word for this series would be signs and not miracles. We all want a miracle, but but I don't want a miracle that just happens by happenstance. I want a miracle that points to the living God, to have community and relationship with him and be connected to him forever. And I want that for my life. I want that for my family. I want that for my children. And I want that for you. I want that for this city. I want signs to be declared so that this city would know him. Yesterday, some of us started out at a Kindle Outreach with Crossbridge Church, there were 70 of us who assimilated together to learn how to practice sharing our faith in this city because there's some startling statistics that we all are aware of. In San Antonio Metro, there's 2.6 million people who live in this city. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people for a, for a for a young, young man from Midland, Texas. And when I came to the city, there's so many souls, so many people. And of the 2.6 million, there, there are, there are uh, only about 14% of that 2.6 million who, who profess that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. About 14% roughly. Now we know the stats. We know that 35% claim Catholicism. We know the stats of a, a certain percentage claim Protestantism. Protestant. Oh, okay, come on, somebody. Help me with that word. Yep, that's it. It's a lot of syllables in that word. Certain percentage are Protestants. It's another way to say things. And in your speech class at university, you just reword it so that it makes sense. We know that. And so we went out and we were like, okay, Lord, you called us to do something about this. That we're not just going to sit on the bleachers and watch life go by and watch people go to hell. But we're going to go intentionally engage people to share our faith. And I was, I was amazed by what happened. Seventy of us gathered together. Seventy of us practiced sharing our testimony. Seventy of us um, practiced how to do it in a loving way, a compassionate way, a way that Jesus did it and does it. And then we engaged an apartment complex. And I was with an amazing family from oak ridge baptist church and and we were there and we were knocking on doors and the first door we knocked on no one answered the second door we knocked on no one answered the fifth door we knocked on no one answered how many of you can get discouraged in life you get a little discouraged maybe we should just go home maybe the lord's not in today you know like maybe he's in t- tomorrow maybe he just wants me rest play golf so then we just began to keep knocking and keep going, and then I saw a young man outside. And I began to engage him and began to talk to him, and he was talking about a situation that happened in his life, and I got to know him. His name's Brian. Brian's 17 years old, goes to Clark High School. We started having a conversation, and all of a sudden we started sharing the gospel with him and explaining the good news of Jesus for his life, and that that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, amen, like all of us have. But the good news, the good news, right, is that we know that our penalty is death, but God had a different result in mind for our lives So he sent his son, Jesus, on this earth to live a perfect life. And he died a sinner's death on a cross in our place, substituting our death for his death. And he died. He remained dead for three days, but the grave couldn't hold him. And he rose again, right, ascending to heaven, proving that he is the son of God, allowing access now back from our separation across the chasm back into relationship with the Father, amen? And as we began to talk to Brian and begin to say that, his eyes began to glow. He started to smile. You could tell that God was just moving in his life. I said, do you want to pray this prayer? He said, Yes. In that moment, he prays a prayer of salvation and all the angels of heaven begin to rejoice and the Lord is good. And the Lord sent us to an apartment complex on Fredericksburg, right across from USAA, knocking door after door, being rejected, but finding Brian because God loves Brian so much. God loves you so much. He loves your neighbors so much. He loves those around you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, so that you could have life. You could have life. The greatest miracle my dad always told me, the greatest miracle that you will ever know and ever experience will be salvation. It's the greatest miracle for your life. For all of us who are looking for signs and looking for wonders and looking for those, all the signs point to salvation so that you can be reconciled with the Father and have life to the fullest. You will not know life fully until you experience God. And I want to tell you this morning, if you don't know him, today will be an opportunity that you will be introduced to him so that you can receive him, and have purpose, and have life, and have hope. How many of us are superstitious? Anybody? come on now, you can admit it. I just preached at you, and now you're admitting you're superstitious. So I know those hands are like, eh. I mean, you know, I, I you know, this. You, you, you played. I think Will probably did this. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do a little assumption here, but. Will played football, and I I assume that when he won a game, he probably didn't change his undies for the week, you know, wore the same undies, and then played the game, won again, probably wore those undies again, huh, Will? You probably did that for for several weeks, and then when you lost, then it was finally time to change the undies, right, or to flip them inside out, okay? Okay, Will, there's a roast for you. It's our campus minister. I can pick on him like that. Some of us are superstitious, we, we have superstitions that, that, that come around that loom around us and I want to tell you that, that we are not the only ones familiar with superstition. They have existed for all time that people have been superstitious and, and right now, in our superstition, um, Brian was was a little superstitious he 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 was uh, wearing something that a lot of us have have associated with lately and that was a crystal around his neck anybody have a crystal you don't have to admit but but here's what's happening in our society it's and you've noticed this after 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 the church basically uh, uh d- kind of went in hiding a little bit with COVID and and we saw maybe the light get a little dimmer. People were looking for hope in other places other than church and the gospel. So they were finding different things. They were reading their zodiacs. They were reading different um, opportunities. They were collecting their crystals and going their crystal boots and and, and there's this superstition that there's certain crystals that can heal and certain crystals that can bring fulfillment or promise in your life. And, and, and maybe some of you, you know, you've been waiting to be married. So you're like, maybe I'll wear this crystal. When I find somebody has the same crystal, it'll be a matching crystal. And We put a little superstition in all this stuff. So that's what's happening in John chapter five. There's superstition taking place. There's a moment where a man was incredibly hopeless. He had been crippled for 38 years. Now, other signs that we see in the Bible, other miracles, when Jesus comes and heals them, it says that they had a certain condition from birth. This man, it doesn't say, leaves out. John the writer leaves out from birth, indicating that perhaps his paralysis happen later in life. That's almost even more disheartening when you could taste it and then get paralyzed. I would say both are equally bad, but, but that's where we are in John 5, 1 through 15. I want to read it this morning to us. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews in verse 1, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda which was five roof colonnades. It was a big pool. When we read this, sometimes we think of little, you know, kiddie pool. We think about something like this. This pool was the size of a soccer field. It was large. There was was this moment of columns coming over this pool. It's actually where the sheep, before they were sacrificed, they would be washed in this pool in this moment. And, And there's a superstition around this large pool. It's huge. And so let's read it. In verse 3, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? This is a unique part of this story because it's a large football field, and you've got to imagine that, that it's not just one person waiting for their healing. It said many people paralyzed, lame, and blind were there around it. Could have been hundreds, even thousands of people around this pool believing that they're going to get healed. Hundreds, possibly even thousands, and Jesus approaches one of them. It's unique because we see oftentimes in Scripture that Jesus will come and he will heal multiple people in a moment, in a setting. But in this particular moment, he goes to one person, one individual. I want to let you know that Jesus came to us corporately in worship this morning, but he also came to you individually. He also knows you by name. He knows exactly who you are, and he sees you, and he looks to you, and he comes to your situation. This story invokes the idea that God cares about you individually as a person. Amen. Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. There's this moment where it was one man healed by Jesus, sitting by a pool for 38 years, waiting for the water to be stirred by by the historical account that there was angels who would stir this up, and when they did, you would jump in, and the first one jumps in and gets healed and you can only imagine what that looked like and in, in this particular moment this man is looking for his healing out of this superstition believing that water was going to be stirred up believing that he was going to get healed he was putting his faith in a myth and this is oftentimes us and our life is, we're so hopeless and so down, so helpless, we're at our wits end and we start looking to some type of superstition or myth to fulfill the very void inside of our soul. But in this moment, Jesus approaches him and he gets up, his, he, gets up he takes his bed, he walks and in verse 11, but he answered him "Them the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Verse 12, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. As we were talking about hundreds, maybe even thousands around. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. There's this moment where this man is helpless and he's looking for help and he's looking for answers to that. Jesus shows up in this moment and remember what the man said, I've been looking for my healing, I've been looking for help, but there has been no help. How many of you are in your situation, right, where you're helpless and hopeless, and you're just like, can somebody help me in my situation? Have you ever just wished that somebody would, would drop their situation so that they could help you with your situation? Like, I, I so wish that would happen oftentimes. But in this moment, when everybody was looking to their own interests, they weren't worried about the interest of somebody next to them. And the only one who was was Jesus who was looking at the interest of somebody else versus his interest only. It was this moment, and we get inside into this, as we look and live for Jesus, there's a moment where we need to look to the person on our left and right. We need to look for the Brian at the apartment complex. We need to look at Mary in the break room. We need to look at Susie. I'll just throw out random names. Susie in in the university, we need to look out for. Fill in the blank. And perhaps... We could take ourselves off our own situation and look at their situation and come and bring helper, be the helper. And let Jesus utilize us in this situation. Jesus wants to do that. He loves to do that. Jesus loves to help. Everybody say, Jesus loves to help. Jesus came to help people. He came to help people. He came to help them in their situation and in their circumstance. And that's exactly what we see him doing with every sign that is displayed out of his life is to help people so that they can come out of their situation and find new life in God. This is what Jesus does is he comes and helps And Jesus loved to help so much that he was limited by his earthly proximity. How many of you know that people pressed in on the left and right? There was only so many people he could touch. And so what did he say? He said, I must leave. I must go to the Father so that the helper can come help people in their situation." The helper is the Holy Spirit. I must leave so that the Holy Spirit must come so that he can minister to everybody in their current situation. And so the Holy Spirit will do that by visiting you in your situation and regenerating you and bringing you to new life in God. He'll also do it by empowering you to go help somebody next to you who's been crying out for help. The helper comes and he empowers us to move and minister. How many of you are thankful that the helper has come? I'm so thankful for that. And the helper, when he comes, he makes us whole. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills, verse 1, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's this moment where Jesus comes and he sees the situation. He begins to heal the situation and he begins to make the situation whole. This is what God loves to do. And so to visualize this story and to get our mind around it, I want to share the chosen clip so we can visualize it a little more this morning. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. me. I don't have many answers but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later but my question remains will you take me to the water? Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others... Step down in front of me. And so look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you. Or who's not helping. Or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. want to be healed so let's go get up pick up your mat and walk for you to walk like he said don't forget your bed why does this matter because you're not coming back here that life is over everything changes now church would you stand with me this morning isn't that a powerful moment a powerful scene a powerful word If you would, just grab your communion cup and we're gonna take communion in just a moment. This is the Jesus that we serve, he's the one who heals and makes us whole. What do we do with this this week, this story, how do we apply it, where do we go from here? Well the best thing to do is to get our eyes off of our current situation, our current circumstance. So right now, I want you to think about your current situation and your current circumstance. For some of you, it may be helpful if you bow your head and close your eyes during this moment. I want you to think about your current circumstance. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to release that current situation. And I want us to give it to Jesus. And by the way that we do it is we focus on this situation and then we move our attention and affection towards Jesus, towards who he is. And for some of us, we need to confess this morning, Lord Jesus, this is my situation and my circumstance, and it's clouding my mind, and it's clouding everything around me. And so, Jesus, I just surrender it. I surrender it. For some of us, that that moment, it's instantaneously, that moment from looking at our situation to looking at Jesus is literally a moment of repentance, of turning away from one thing and turning to the one who loves and redeems and can do something about your situation. It's moving from false hope, false trust, to moving to trust and fulfillment in Christ, and Christ alone. That is a moment of repentance, saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, now I look to you. And you may recall in this moment, as we just saw in this video, I love how the director directed this moment. The the man looks back at the pool, and Jesus goes, hey, 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 right here, right here, look over here, look at me. I'm the one who's going to fulfill the desires of your heart this morning. Jesus is saying, I am the one who will fulfill the desires of your heart this morning. he does that by giving you a new heart and new affection and a new love he does that by making him the center Psalm 32 as you're thinking about that and praying through that verse 17 it says the war horse is a false hope for salvation by its great might it cannot rescue That which looks strong, that which looks great, that which looks like it can save and it can rescue. The psalmist is saying is a false hope for salvation. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Jesus, I thank you for your church this morning. As we set our eyes on you, our affections on you, our attention on you, renew us and shape us and make us whole. If you would, grab your cup. If you would, grab your wafer. And if you need an element, an usher will be right to you if you raise your hand. Why do we come to remember this morning? We come to remember because his body was broken for us Jesus' body was broken so that we could have access Jesus' body was broken so that 38 years that 17 years that 40 years, 80 years whatever you lived on earth could be healed and become whole his body broken so that we could become whole Jesus we thank you for your body which was broken for us. Bless this bread in Jesus' name. You may eat of the bread. And lastly, if we would take this cup. They're by the pool of Bethesda where they would wash sheep for a sacrifice and make atonement for their sins that year. But then enters the real lamb, the true lamb, the pure lamb who came and he didn't just come but he displayed that he can make a life whole right by that pool. He is the lamb of God who shed his blood for the sins of the world, shed his blood to make us new. And today we remember the perfect lamb, our Jesus. So, Father, bless this cup. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for making us whole and the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name, amen. You may drink of the cup.